Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here today as we continue our Jonas series. What a wonderful time of communion and an awesome time for us to gather together. Whatever room you're in, thanks for being here as we continue our Jonah series. And boy, we're learning a lot about this Jonah, aren't we? And, and we're learning how sometimes God's kids can be a little entitled, a little stubborn, and isn't it good to talk about his problems because they're nothing like ours, right? We can never be that way, right? But I'll tell you what, I, I can really relate sometimes to Jonah's stubbornness and sometimes his entitlement, sometimes his frustration. I think sometimes as children of God, we get exposed sometimes about things that we kind of were hoping God would do or God wouldn't do, and we can get a little frustrated at times. And isn't it good to have an account like Jonah to look at so we can learn from his mistakes and not necessarily repeat them ourselves? You know, throughout this Throughout this account, you're going to see a lot of times where Jonah's kind of real attitudes and real feelings get exposed. Um, have you ever had that happen to you? Are there certain areas of life where you get exposed just a little bit? Like you, you, you would look at yourself and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm walking with the Lord and I love him re really good. And, and maybe you're like, and I, I just feel like a godly person. And then, and then I play sports. Yeah, you ever? And something comes out of you you didn't know was there right? Or maybe you know it's there and you're like, I don't know if I should play, right? Um, be, because you know that's an area where you maybe struggle with self-control or maybe it's seasons in your life where you were hoping to get something or hoping that God would bless you with it and, and it hasn't come yet and it kind of exposes a little bit of a lack of contentment in you that I want this and I want that. Maybe, maybe you're, you're someone who doesn't like to wait for things. And, and I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna be a little vulnerable this morning. This is kind of one of me. This is kind of where I'm at. Anybody who knows me goes, yeah, Chris, we actually know that about you. I, my kids are gonna be like, about time dad confessed this publicly. I can't stand, I'm not gonna surprise anybody, waiting. Uh, oh my goodness, lines drive me crazy. I literally have a certain amount of cars that I'll sit in the drive-thru. I'm like, nope, that's too many cars. Our kids, my kids know it. Like, oh, that's too many cars for dad. And I'm like, I can't. I'm that guy, I, I have Google Maps, right? And I look for the red lines that show up on the thing. I would rather go 25 miles out of my way to keep the car moving than to sit in that. Like, I just, I, I'm, I'm weird like that. And Jesus knows it because he keeps putting me in lines, and I could get a little exposed, right? But, but is there a worse place? Oh, is there a worse place to have to wait, wait, wait than the airport? Oh my goodness. Have you ever been grounded? Have you ever been in an airport and, and you, you're just, your plane's not taken off? My sister visited years ago over holidays. She was flying back. And she had her two girls with her. Her husband had to go ahead for work purposes. So she was flying back a little later, spending a little more time with the family. And she had two little girls. One was a baby. Any, any young moms in here? You know how much babies love to sit still, right? Right, right? And, and, and just be quiet, right? Nope, nope. No. And, and she's on a plane and they tell her, oh, it's gonna be 45 minutes yet. It's gonna be another 45 minutes. And then, and then that other 45 minutes was up and they said, no, we're thinking it's looking like an hour. They stayed in the cylinder, for over five hours. 
she had a baby with her. Other passengers tried to help her. But you start thinking things like claustrophobia. You start thinking all sorts of different things. But keep in mind, she had a four and a half hour flight to Denver yet. So she spent over nine hours in that tube, grounded. And you could, you could imagine what that must have been like trying to entertain a child that long let alone not knowing if you're ever gonna take off, not knowing if after a couple hours you're gonna get back off the plane, but at least you've got people around you. At least you have like a little air hole blowing air directly into one of your eyeballs while you're waiting. I mean, it's a pretty relaxed, right, right? Am I speaking to anybody? And, and, so, and so the grounded dynamic, as I like to call it, are those times in our life where we feel stuck. This is one of the messages I always go to if the Lord ever gives me young adult audiences, college audiences. You feel like I can't move. I, I, I tried this, didn't work. I went there, didn't work. But, but it's not just for that time period of your life. Although that time period, it does seem to show up a lot. And, and you start going, God, why does it seem like you just won't let me take off? I tried that, I tried that, and I'm just trapped. And, and maybe, maybe it's not with your life, maybe it's a relationship. I feel stuck in this, and I've tried this and this. And, 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 and did you notice my picture here? There's other planes just flying around. It can lead to a little resentment even a little bitterness. That plane's flying. Why is it mine? Have you ever wrestled with these seasons of your life where you go, it just seems like I'm grounded and I'm, not, I'm just gonna say it. I know I shouldn't say it in church, but I just feel like it's God not letting me. It's like, it's like he's targeted me and if, if somebody's gonna have it happen, it's gonna be me. And I mean, I take one step forward and I blow out an ACL. I take another step forward and the other guy got the job in front of me. I take another step forward and that girl's the one they chose. It's like, I just can't seem to get ahead and you feel stuck. You feel trapped. You even feel a little surrounded or even blocked. Why are you a plain grounded just to annoy you yes okay just in case life's not just about you is there a chance that there's reasons that plane's on the ground no is there a chance maybe would you like to take off without the engine working would you like to take off even though there's three run planes on the runway that you'll crash into on the way? You make some solid points. Would you like to take off knowing there's a thunderstorm in the path of your flight? You see, a plane's grounded for a reason. You could argue for until poor weather clears, until runway traffic clears, uh, until clearance has come from the tower or maybe until necessary repairs need to be fixed. You see, sometimes we equate climate with our attitudes, right? And sometimes we're grounded because our attitude stinks. Sometimes we're grounded because it's just not the right thing for you. I want that position it will hurt you. I'm not giving you that. 
You have a desire that's fleshly right now. In fact, in one passage of scripture, we're told that God doesn't give out snakes to his kids when they ask for them. It'll hurt them. You're possibly grounded until clearance comes from the tower. You don't have the permission needed to move forward. I want to drive. You're seven. You need to wait. You see, see, sometimes we're waiting because we're not able to handle it. And we often never, especially when we're thinking through the eyes of entitlement and I deserve it and I should get this, especially God's kids who have been really, really blessed, they can fall into this trap more than others. Sometimes it's until some repairs are fixed because even if the Lord let you fly, you come crashing down within hours of taking off because there's things that aren't ready for flight. See, see, there's things to learn when we're waiting. And that is the grounded dynamic, that when we feel grounded, there is things that we can learn from that. In fact, I'll point out more as we walk through the text today, because you are about to witness one of God's boys grounded, surrounded, stuck, so that he can learn some lessons. Week one, running from God. Standing on the Joppa dock, the decision to do the easy wrong thing or the hard right thing. Any of us ever been on the Joppa dock? Jonah does the easy wrong thing and runs to Tarshish. Week two, hiding from God, the Jonah boat moments of life. Would you rather be humble or would you rather be humiliated? Hiding from God. You cannot escape him. He loves his kids too much. But this week, those moments where God says, you're grounded, no moving until something changes in you. And what's most important for children of God to know is when we're being grounded because of consequences or we're being grounded because of a trial. Both times we're being called to wait and how we wait, the perspective we wait with will enable you to navigate the question the enemy will pose to you in those moments of waiting. Is God making you wait because he hates you? Or is God making you wait because he loves you? Would you pray with me as we go to Jonah chapter two and we talk about one of God's kids who is grounded until clearance comes from the tower. And when it does, you will see that same child of God launched into his future ministry. Heavenly Father, use your text today to guide us. No human voice is needed. Your word is wonderful, but thank you for allowing us to share it here at Renew Bible. I pray, as we know it will not return in void, that as we submit to this sacred text and learn from it, that it will adapt our lives and change it. But more importantly, we need your Holy Spirit, Lord, to break through any hardness in our hearts. 
For Lord, in a room this size, I am sure there are some who may find themselves in a season of running from you. I'm sure there might be some that find themselves in a season where they're frankly hiding from you. And there might be some that find themselves in a season where they feel surrounded by you, even grounded by you. And I pray that they would get to hear and get to witness through the life of Jonah how God loves us even in those moments. For anyone out there, Lord, who might be frustrated with their current lot in life, I pray this would give them fresh perspective to navigate this season of feeling stuck. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, all right, here we go, here we go. They lifted Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. Last week, we had a thunderstorm going, so we would feel a little bit the quietness of when he hit the water. It's just another way that we can leverage scripture to, to gain context of what's going on here. This massive roaring sea stands still from its raging. And that's where we stopped last week. The, the sailors are looking overboard. The, the sea goes quiet. And then it says, the men feared, greatly feared Yahweh from these polytheistic worshipers who worshiped many different gods, they fear Yahweh, Jonah's God, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and they made vows to him. It seems as if they have turned their trust to God. Is it possible? Dad, who constantly shames himself for not being a better dad, is it possible that God can even take some of your mistakes and turn them for good? Mom, is it possible that, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? That God can take some of even the things you shouldn't have done and leverage them for good. I mean, Jonah's running from God and even in the midst of all his running, all what he put these sailors through, God shows himself to them. Isn't it good to know that we have such a gracious and merciful God that even when we're being stubborn, even when we're being foolhardy, even when we're dragging family members and other people into the ramifications of our bad choices, even then the grace of God can be poured out on those that it matters. I would encourage anybody struggling with shame from their past to ask God for mercy and to use even your mistakes for good in the lives that you may have affected. For there are many people who sit in church, not so much miserable over their current state, but over the state of those they've affected. What happens to Jonah though? Well, he sinks to the ground. The guy's an idiot. He's running from God. I mean, I, I, you ever hear of a, a belly flop? Have you ever done a belly flop? Not fun. Not fun unless you're purposely doing it, which seemed to be every guy in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, okay? I remember one time saying, guys, guys, no more of this, okay? They're red, they're sore, they're hurting, but everyone's laughing, so you keep doing it, right? And, and, and there's not much pity on someone who is being silly, stupid, dumb, irrational, and then go, ouch, ouch, there's no pity. It's like, you deserved it. But that's not your heavenly father. Even when you belly flop like Jonah's about to do, he shows love anyway. It's not, <laughs> you had that coming. It's not, look how red, oh yeah, now, now you learned. It's not even, I told you a million times. It's, let's go rescue him. 
well, how does God rescue him? Can you pretend you've never read this story before? Okay, and you're just coming upon this verse, ready? Okay, God, how are you gonna rescue him? How are you gonna go get him? He's falling, he's about to hit rock bottom and Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Did you notice that God appointed? Do you see God's sovereign control over the situation? God appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah. There's a, a fish that can swallow Jonah? Um, 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 what? This is the path? What, 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 what? How many of you have ever been swallowed by a, a, a fish so you know what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what? Oh, yeah, I've had that. Yeah, that happened when I was 17. That happened. That, wait, like, what? I mean, this is one of those things we go, what? What? You swallowed by a, a fish? Are you kidding me? Wait, wait, it gets better. And then Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Oh, yeah, of course. Three days and three nights in a fish? I've never been swallowed by a fish. So I'm not gonna sit here and say I know what it was like. But there are those who have been. You say, really? Yeah, yeah. Especially this guy. Great story. I'll, I'll give you an after picture so you know he's okay. But he was swallowed, 2021, swallowed by a whale while scuba diving. It happens every day. No, no. <laughs> he's scuba diving. He said he's about 10 feet from the bottom. And he noticed all of a sudden, it was, he said it was like a truck hitting him. It's an, it's an amazing account. He says, like a truck hit me and I've got my scuba gear and I'm looking around, I'm realizing, oh my word, I've been swallowed. I'm in the mouth of a whale. Now I typically don't scuba dive where there's whales, but some people do, okay? And, 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 and he's swallowed and he was in it approximately, he says, 40 seconds, okay? So 40 seconds inside the mouth of a whale. And he said the whale was literally freaking out. He said, I knew I was going so fast through the water and it was all over the place. And I thought I gotta get my scuba gear on. But I remember thinking I'm gonna die in a whale? I started thinking about my wife and kids in 40 seconds, you had time to think about it? Watch this, one, two, Three, four, five, six. I've lost hope about there, guys. Chris Heller's fully out. I'm done. I'm done. Seven, eight, nine. That's it. I'm over. 10, 11, 12, 13. He says before he knew it, he felt he was being rushed somewhere. And he said, the whale kind of just threw me out of him, wagging his mouth. And he goes out, I flew out into the water and I thought, oh my word, I lived through that. 40 seconds in the mouth of a whale. Are you kidding me? You say, I guess, you know, a, a whale can uh, swallow, but you know, 40 seconds. I mean, Jonah's going 40 seconds. Come on, please, child. <laughs> 40 seconds. In fact, there's another account in the early 1800s, in fact, 1891, late 1800s, where James Bartley, a sailor aboard the whaling ship, Star of the East, was swallowed by a whale in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands. He was within the whale for more than 48 hours and gives an account for what was going on inside that whale. It's written in the Princeton Theological Review, The Sign of the Prophet Jonah and its Modern Confirmations. And he talks about what was like in that whale. So if you're here 
today, you go like, what would it be like to be swallowed by a whale? Good news, this is your message, okay, here we go. Bartley affirms that he probably would have lived inside his house of flesh until he starved, for he lost his senses through fright and not from lack of air. He remembers the sensation of being thrown out of the boat into the sea. He was then encompassed by great darkness and felt he was slipping along a smooth passage of some sort that seemed to move and carry him forward. The sensation lasted but a short time, and then he realized he had more room. Oh, great. He felt about him and his hands came in contact with a yielding slimy substance that seemed to shrink from his touch. It finally dawned upon him that he had been swallowed by a whale. He could easily breathe, but the heat was terrible. He goes on to describe that it, was, it wasn't really a bad smell as much as an evil smell. So, oh, gross. Okay, it was not of a scorching, stifling nature, but it seemed to open the pores of his skin and draw out his vitality. His skin, where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juice, face, neck, and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness, and it took on the appearance of a parchment. He never recovered his natural appearance otherwise, and his health, though, did not seem affected by this terrible experience. This article begins with sperm whales can swallow lumps of food eight feet in diameter, entire skeletons of sharks up to 16 feet in length. But, but you read that, and you're like, what on earth? earth. What, a, what an incredible way. And, and a lot of this research has been done from an idea of being critical of the text as if this couldn't happen. And so a lot of it has been done by thinkers who come into this going, I want to kind of prove that this, this can't happen. And some will say, you know, the stomach of a whale, it's too small. And they, they work through the nuances. And I think it's Martin Luther who says, even to question the content of scripture is appalling to him. It says he was swallowed by a great fish. The word there is dag. Dag means cold-blooded vertebrae sea creature with fins and gills is the idea. So some sort of fish. And it lasted some three days. But who is to say it was a whale? Did you know it doesn't actually say whale? I know I'm working against veggie tails right now and that's gonna be hard, okay? But, but it's some sort of massive fish. And God shows his sovereignty over this fish by saying he appointed it in scripture. He sent this fish. There are some who step back and say, oh, maybe it wasn't a whale. Maybe it was actually a whale shark dinosaur. Like what? Like Leviathan, that scripture speaks all the time about. Leviathan? Yeah, in fact, scripture says about Leviathan, here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures, innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it, Psalm 104. See, throughout the Old Testament, you see this incredible fear of this creature, Leviathan, that is a water creature, a, a whale shark of some nature. And you might think maybe it's more just symbolic of wickedness and stuff, but actually it's Job 41, where God just straight up talks about Leviathan as a creature he's created. He says to Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you just go get Leviathan and use him for your purposes like I do? He, he says, can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Come on, Job. Uh, can you do anything with Leviathan that you clearly know about? I imagine Job going, no, no, 
No, he goes on. He talks about Leviathan as having this, these shields up his back. His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely as with a seal. God continues, one is so near to another that air cannot come between them. They're joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rust. His breath coils and flame comes from his mouth. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together. He goes on and on. Even talks about when he goes through the water, he makes massive waves. God talks about Leviathan who plays in the water. Oh, Nineveh. Nineveh worshiped a fish god called Dagon. Dagon was like this dragon god. They feared this. You imagine if someone came to them from something God had leveraged in the sea. But even that to this day is conjecture, as well as those who say, is it possible that Jonah died and rose again in the whale? You say, how can they say that? Well, well, I don't believe in Jonah necessarily because I can believe it. Young people, you'll go to college and you might even think, hear things from universities with big pulpits and lots of degrees that say things like the Old Testament is full of myths. You can learn from them like parables. But I'd like you to take that principle. Here's that hermeneutic. If I can believe it, it's true. If I can't believe it, it's false. Is that the hermeneutic you wanna go with? If I can believe it, it's true. If I can see it and I can experience it, then it's true. If I can't, I can't make sense of it, then it's not. But, but, what about a guy dying and rising again? Have you ever seen it? You've built your entire faith upon it. In fact, Paul calls every single person in this room a fool if Jesus Christ did not raise again from the dead. And Jesus talks about Jonah. He does? Yeah. In fact, in Matthew 12, 38 through 41, he says, a wicked and adulterous generation, they ask for signs. The Pharisees say, give us a sign we can believe in you. And he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for signs. And he says this, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah, right out of the mouth of Jesus. And I've had this like kind of rule in my life. If Jesus is saying it, I'm going with it. And he says, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. And what's interesting there is he uses the Latin keta, ketos, which can also include fish, vertebrae, or dragon-like, snake-like. So the son of man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you're not gonna believe Jonah, you're not gonna believe me. But if you can believe me, you can believe anything in that Old Testament and Jesus continues to leverage it as if it is fully conceivable. But God can do whatever he wants. And so whether it was a great fish, whether it was a crocodile fish, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. It's a story that gives us insight into how God works on a child of God who is being stubborn. Now, I referenced in the beginning of our series, I said, man, Jonah must have been some kind of communicator. Because Jonah, we find in chapter four, says, I knew if I went to Nineveh, 
they would all hear my message and get saved. I believe God uses certain things to set up Jonah for a good audience. Make no mistake, and we'll get to that. But Jonah is a speaker who anticipates success. I'll speak, people are gonna enjoy it, they're gonna like it, or they're gonna turn, and they're gonna go come to God or walk away from it, but he anticipates success. In fact, he even says to God, I know this would happen. What does he talk like? What would he write like? What would happen? You know, I said in the beginning, grounded by God, I refer to these times as Jonah songs. And what you're about to hear is a song that Jonah would have composed after he was out of the whale. So I know I ruined the story for you if you don't know how this ends. But after he's out of the whale, he composes a song about what happened inside the whale from his view. And it's as if he writes it in a few verses. It's a psalm, okay? It's the psalm of Jonah in chapter two. And so we know it's a song and it's something that he shares his heart. How many great songs have come out of a time of discouragement and defeat? How many songs like It Is Well With My Soul came because that author had lost his children drowning in a ship accident? And we get the song, It Is Well. How many songs? We're gonna get to hear Jonah's song and you're gonna get to hear this orator speak. And I'm gonna point out four things that Jonah says that I think we can all relate to sometimes in our life and learn from. You ready to hear how he talks? Here, here, here we go. And he said, I called out of my distress to Yahweh and he answered me. I cried for help from the belly of Sheol and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the currents surrounded me. All your breakers and waves passed over me. Jonah, in this kind of epic language of song, says, I called out to God from the belly of Sheol. I basically thought I had died. And all your breakers and waves, as I fought in the ocean, I guess before falling, were crashing down around. He's basically saying, I was drowning. I was drowning. Now, uh, to use that metaphorically, you ever feel like you're drowning? You know, some of the greatest songs can be written when we're drowning that we can leverage to encourage other people. Have you ever heard of uh, the songwriter Laura Story? She wrote songs like Mighty to Stave and Indescribable. She also wrote a song about her own life. Married for just two years. Any young couples in here? Married for two years. She says, we basically just picked out our China. And we find out my husband has a brain tumor growing. Not only did she find out her husband has a brain tumor, but she's gonna have to learn her love her husband in a different way because that brain tumor would affect his memory and even his ability to remember a lot of things that they went through as a couple. Imagine, your entire marriage and what you thought it was will be totally different now. And she sat down and she penned these words within this season of life. She writes, we pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our 
our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. And then she thinks, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights? I wonder if a teardrop hit the sheet while she was writing this. Are what it takes to know you're near. And what if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? What if my greatest disappointments are the aching of this life? Is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? No one is blessed by that song if Laura doesn't go through that difficulty. But God used that moment in her life where she may have felt like she was drowning and she's very vulnerable about how she felt and her faith with God during that season of her life. But he used it to inspire generations going through the similar difficulties. Jonah said, so I said, I I have been driven from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look towards your holy temple. I'm driven, but I'm gonna turn to God. I was drowning, I felt finished. I was driven from your sight. I was no longer, I just felt like, you ever feel this way? Maybe you feel like you're drowning, but have you ever felt finished? I'm done, it's over, I've done too much, this is too bad. I can't, there's no way I will be able to bounce back from what just happened. Have have you ever heard of the songwriter Jeremy Camp? He wrote a song, I Still Believe. He'd been dating a girl and he almost engaged couples in here. I guess you can't tell yet. (laughs) But he found out his girlfriend was going to be dying from ovarian cancer within months. They rushed the engagement and they got married so she would know what it was like to be married. And she died a couple months later. There's been a movie made about this. But here's the song he wrote after she passed. Listen to some of these words. Scattered words and empty thoughts seem to pour from my heart. I've never felt so torn before. Seems I don't know where to start, but it's now that I feel your grace fall like rain from every fingertip washing away my pain. Cause I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe in your holy word. Even when I don't see, I still believe. He gets even more vulnerable, writes, though the questions still fog up my mind with promises I still seem to bear. For even when answers slowly unwind, it's my heart I see you prepare. But it's now that I feel your grace fall like rain from every fingertip washing away my pain. I still believe. It's as if he's telling his soul, I still believe. Even though all my circumstances are terrible, I I still believe. I was drowning, I felt finished. Jonah says, water encompassed me in his song to my very soul. It wasn't just around me, it was going into my heart. I was sinking, I was defeated. The great deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the base of the mountain. The earth with its bars closed before me forever. He hit rock bottom. Just done, not able to move. If we were to talk in modern terms, just laying in bed. 
Ever hit rock bottom? Jonah wrote a song about it. And so did Toby Mack. You ever hear him? 21 is the song. Um, He talked about his oldest son who showed up on records throughout his career who kind of led a prodigal life in high school into college and talks about how his son was kind of walking away from some of the things that he was taught, although he always knew his heart was love Jesus, but he got caught up in groups and friend groups and it started steering him a wrong direction. And you'll hear that in his testimony even. And, and his son accidentally overdosed on opioids, I believe it was, uh, I'm not quite sure, but he passed suddenly, tragically, at the age of 21. And Toby Mack sat down and, and wrote some of these lyrics. Listen to this. Woke up because the light poured in. Day two, let the flood begin. Day one left me in my bed. I can barely remember it. Heart shattered in a thousand ways. They tell me pain's gonna come in waves. They tell me I'm gonna be okay. I'm still waiting for the first to break. Why would you give and then take him away? Suddenly end, could you not let it fade? What I would give for a couple of days just a couple of days is it just across the Jordan or a city in the stars are you singing with the angels are you happy where you are well until this show is over and you've run into my arms God has you in heaven but I have you in my heart he continues to reflect and lament and say did he see you from a long way off running to me with the father's arms. Did you wrap him up inside your arms and let him know he was home? Words that have touched countless of lives that were written in a rock bottom moment. But, what, 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 what? But, but, Jonah said, but, but, what, but what? But you've brought me up from the pit. Oh, Yahweh, my God, while my soul was fainting within me, I remembered you and I, Turn to you. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. That was the way the Israelites described turning to God. Every way Jonah went was down, 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 down. But Jonah now is beginning to look up. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. He went down into the water. He went down into the whale. But now he says, I look up. As long as you're looking down, You're not gonna see a ton of change in your life, child of God. May I even encourage you in your prayer life, if you've been feeling like you're in a season of being grounded, is it possible you're only looking down? Could I encourage you even tonight in a bedroom to look up and pray? Even kinetically finding your head looking up saying, I'm gonna choose hope, I'm gonna turn to God. When we talked about Jonah, he saw God's will and he did an about face and he went the other direction. He got grounded and God took him and turned him around. It's David who says, you are the lifter of my head. Do you see that? It's God who says, hey, hey, look up here. Parents, parents, you ever have a little kid who's feeling a lot of shame and their head's down, they're sitting there in bed and you're going, hey, 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 say you're sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and, and hey, look, 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 hey, look at me. I, they, they can't even look at you. Look at, look at me, look at me. And you kind of, look, 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 look. 
Hey, hey, you said you're sorry. Yeah. There's an ice cream on the 309. Let's go. I always try to over-celebrate my kids when they, when they ask for forgiveness. Because I wanted them to know it's there. And then Jonah gets philosophical. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their loving kindness. He gets preachy. They forsake their loving, they turn on the loving kindness, they turn on God. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will repay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. You remember our clay last week and we got our clay out. But, but this week I see this. He's like thinking about this. He goes, you know how all these polytheistic thinking, they got all their gods and they build idols out of their own hands and they worship them. And then they build the idols of all these different things. They, and they, and they set them up and, and, they, and they worship these things over the God of Yahweh. And in doing so, they forsake God and they turn to other things. In fact, in fact, it was Nineveh that worshiped Dagon or the God of the seas or even the dragon God. They worshiped him and they had all these idols and they, oh, oh. and even you see throughout scripture, you're bowing down to things made by human hands and you're worshiping things. And, and we can fall into these traps and oh, maybe they aren't made by human hands, but maybe it's the amount is in your 401k that will make you feel safe. Or maybe if it's, I just get that one more possession or if I only, if my wife or my husband, or if I only had this and we begin to worship things. And how do you, how do you know if you're worshiping something? If God took it away, would you rage at him? Well, that would include maybe even my kids. Exactly. We can make even human beings that we totally love idols. And you know, because if God took it away, would you rage at him? Because you've fallen in love with the gift more than the giver? How can the clay say to the potter, I don't like this. I was drowning. I felt finished. I hit rock bottom. But I chose surrender. And I started going the other direction. What happened? What happened? Then Yahweh spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. Look at this song. I was drowning. I felt finished. I hit rock bottom. I chose surrender. Anybody else ever sing a song like that? Psalm 43 says, you put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Are you telling me that Jonah being surrounded by the belly of a whale was grace? It was a belly of purpose. Jonah had brought consequences into his life and God said, stop. In fact, the book of Jonah is action, 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 stop. Has God ever said, stop? Child of God, don't need a car accident. Don't need a health crisis. Ask God, where is it that I'm running from you and creating idols that are taking me farther from you instead of closer to you? Sometimes young people ask me, how do I know if she's the one? I said, does she draw you closer to God or further away? It's an easy question. They often don't like that question. 
Is the person I'm withdrawing me closer or further away? These are the things we have to think through. And sometimes when we're running, there's a stop. And I call those moments, the moments God is using even your consequences to get your attention. But you can find purpose in even those consequences. And you can even write songs from those seasons of life. You could write a book from that season of life. You could share your testimony in a small group from that season of life. You can take what that consequence did and turn it into a new song and say, I was that, but I'm no longer. I learned in that belly of purpose. But maybe you're a child of God, maybe like some of our songwriters we leverage today, that you have a trial come out of nowhere. It's not a consequence of anything you did. It's a, it's a life trial that's hit you out of nowhere. I call those moments prisons of purpose. You say, why, why, why do you call them prisons of purpose? You can find purpose even in this current prison where you feel chained, even if it's by God. How, how, like, like what, there, there can be purpose in a prison? The apostle Paul went throughout throughout the Mediterranean extended area, preaching the gospel. He was prisoned, beaten, and thrown into jail. And in that prison, God did this little thing called Ephesians, Philippians. We get so much of our New Testament only because God allowed Paul to be in prison for a season of his life. I have gone to brothers and sisters in Christ by a hospital bed and gone, what do you think God wants to do with this season? Like, interesting question. What do you think this stop is gonna be used for, for God? Maybe you're here today and you feel grounded. Can I give you a new perspective? Is it possible that this is a belly of purpose and it's a consequence you've brought on then you are to turn and repent. But is it possible it's a prison of purpose that you are to leverage and learn and grow from? Is it possible the reason you're stopped is not because God's so mean that he gives to some people and lets them fly and not you? Is it possible that your attitude, can we just be frank, your attitude stinks? And you have the wrong attitude and you've been complaining in this season of life, you've even got some things you've got to get right with God because you've been mad, you've been frustrated, and you can't be trusted with more because your attitude stinks. You're grounded until poor weather leaves the area. Lord, where is it that I need to change my attitude in order to fly? Lamentations 3.26 says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Why quietly? Because we do a lot of talking when we're waiting and a lot of it's not good. Can you believe this? Can you believe these lines? I can't believe this. You're doing a lot of things. It's good to wait quietly. Second, is it possible you're grounded because you have the wrong pursuit? No, God, I am supposed to be an NBA athlete. I talked to him about this. He goes, no, you're supposed to be 5'10" but Michael Jordan's bald. He goes, you will be too, you're good. No, no, no. Like, it was the wrong pursuit. That's not what I have for you. And how many children of God are frustrated with God because they're pursuing something that's not his pursuit for you. And you're grounded until you get 
What he's supposed to do, Psalm 37, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not over yourself, over the one who prospers. That guy's prospering and I'm not. No, no, don't fret over that. Over the man who carries out even evil devices. Ask me what I want for you. I know what I want. Why won't you do it, God? Because I have a different plan and it's better. And you're grounded until traffic clears the runway. Maybe you're grounded until clearance comes from the tower. I, I, I want this, but you're not ready. You need to go get this first. You need to do this first. He said to Moses, what's in your hand? I want to do all these things for God. What's in your hand? Use what's in your hand. What can you do now? Not necessarily, if I only had this, if I only had this, well, then God, I would really serve you if I had this. No, no, no. What's in your hand right now? A, a, a typewriter. Okay, go. What's in your hand right now? Pen. Okay, draw. What have I put in your hand right now? Scripture says in Isaiah 30, 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy for you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are those who wait for him. And then finally, are you possibly grounded until necessary repairs? You've had the wrong behavior. You're not doing it the right way. Proverbs 22 says, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Don't push ahead. Wait for me. It will be better. Don't crash. Don't go into that storm. Don't take off before you're ready. And don't knock a bunch of people out of the way so your plane can take off. Wait for the Lord. Grounded by God. Because we might possibly have the wrong attitude, wrong pursuit, wrong timing, or wrong behavior. Child of God, throughout this series, we've been asking this question. Is this happening because God hates you or because God loves you? And if you can't answer that, the devil will answer it for you. He's doing it because he hates you. You're waiting because he loves that guy or that girl better than you. No, no, he's holding you until you're ready. And we see that in the life of Jonah. And even during that time period, of holding you tight. It might look to everyone else that you're surrounded. Oh, but you're surrounded by God. It might look like to everyone else you're trapped and stuck, but God is working his purpose. David was on a field playing a harp until called for a kingdom. Moses was a farmer on a field serving faithfully for 40 years until God said, let my people go. God prepares his kids in seasons of waiting. Don't let the devil lie to you that he doesn't love you. He might just be holding you back from yourself because he loves you so much. So if you're here today and you say, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. I'm in a tough spot. Here's a verse for you if you feel you're in a season of, of drowning. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. You might be drowning because of decisions you made. Don't rage against the Lord. Understand that in that season when you're drowning, God might be just uh, crafting this. And that even this difficulty he could use possibly for his glory. And he might be working. Maybe, maybe you say, maybe you say, I, I'm, I'm, I feel finished. But the Lord your God, he's gracious. He's gracious. 
and, and he works on us. And, and scripture says, he's gracious and compassionate and he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. And, and he'll, keep, he'll keep working because he's faithful. You say, I, I, I'm at rock bottom. But Psalms 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He, he drew me up from the pit, from the, the place of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he, and he set, he set my feet upon the rock. He was working on me that whole time. And, and, and maybe I didn't feel it, but, but he was working and, and he makes my steps secure because he's intimately acquainted with me and he loves me. And, and maybe he's, I need that moment in life where I choose surrender. I love Isaiah 64, for it says, from old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who love him, who, who continues to be faithful even when they're necessarily not faithful because he knows us by name. He cares for us and he's promised that he who began a good work will be faithful. He'll be faithful to complete it. And he won't stop working until he knows that we're ready. Because what we might set up as idols in our life, God can even use and remold and reshape and recarve to work out a purpose. And even when it stumbles and even when it falls, he'll pick it back up and he'll put it back into places. And the whole time, the devil might be saying, look what he's done to you. But, but what if this trial or this difficulty is his blessings in disguise? And when you begin to see that the hand of the Lord is a loving potter, you might say like the famous song many have heard, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And I fight my battles with songs because praise and singing is not just a joyful thing to do at church. It is a weapon against evil and a weapon against the enemy. Whatever you're going through, let God write a new song in your heart. And who knows, maybe it's so that many will come to know him because of your Jonah song. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use a belly of purpose or even a prison of purpose, a trial or a consequence. I pray that you would use either to turn your children towards you, that we might move towards the direction you have for us. You say your sheep know, know you, and we know you know our name. And even in the most difficult moments of our life, the potter is sculpting and working for he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. May we be faithful in those seasons of waiting. In Jesus' name, amen.